This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hey, everybody. It's Andy Santanello. Welcome to Practical for Your Practice. And today I've got two of my favorite, if not my favorite, hard stop CDPers with me today. You want to <laughs> say hello, Kevin? Hey, everybody. How are you? I asked you to say hello. Not oh, hey, hello. We'll take it. Hello. <laughs> and we also have Corinne with us today, Dr. Corinne Lefkowitz. Hello, Corinne. Oh, hello. I didn't know if I was allowed to say hello. But only hello. <laughs> well, you said it now, so I guess. <laughs> um, so apparently, uh, Corinne and I were having a discussion a couple of weeks ago that I totally forgot about, which was the impetus for this particular podcast. And so I don't remember the story. Corinne, do you want to like refresh my memory about why we're talking about what we're talking about today? I feel a little hurt that you didn't take this to heart. So part of me doesn't want to remind you. Well, but I... full disclosure, recently, uh, I, I, and this is true, I, I think um, I finally realized I meet criteria for ADHD. So, you know, it's probably that. I just, you know, have trouble remembering things. So You're don't distracted. take it personally. It's just my brain. It's not, it's not it's you. It's your brain. Okay. <laughs> Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Well, I'll, I'll remind you then of our very meaningful and uh, obviously important conversation that we were having a few weeks ago, which is, um, you know, as, as both of us being CPT trainers, cognitive processing therapy trainers, we are very familiar with this concept of the just world belief. And to my brain, I just assumed that was solely a psychological term and psychological jargon. But um, a few weeks ago, and I was teaching CPT from my home office, um, my partner was walking by and he had this like surprised look on his face. And afterwards he said, I want to talk to you because I, I overheard, and he didn't say like that. He doesn't talk like a surfer, but um, <laughs> in case he ever listens, right? <laughs> in case he listens. Um, Cause yeah. So he said, uh, I want to ask you about something. I was reading my um, astrophysics book, you know, for fun as one does. And there was a term in there about the just world belief. And I highlighted it to ask you if you knew what that meant. And then I heard you talking about it in your CPT workshop. So what is that? And then my question was, how does that apply to astrophysics exactly? So we had a, you got a good uh, answer, right? Yeah. Now I'm very curious. Answer. Yeah. Uh -huh. and I, you know, I mean, that's the spoiler, like that's the, the nugget that you, I right. want people to listen to the podcast for. Okay, so we'll wait until like right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then forget to put it in and then yes. we'll edit it back in. Right. You know, the way it'll it be a, up in the was, notes. In right. the notes. <laughs> right. Well, so when you described the just world belief hypothesis uh, to your partner, how did you describe it? Um, well, I, I probably started out pretty simply just with the, you know, what we say to, clients, which is um, basically it's a way of understanding and trying to predict the world and to predict the world by imagining that if we do the right things, if we do the good things, then good things will happen. But if we do bad things or misbehave in some way, then bad things will happen. And that allows us to feel some sense of control and predictability in our lives. 
question, of course, being whether that's realistic or not. Hmm. I mean, it's sometimes not. Imagine that. (laughs) You live long enough and you figure out that that unfortunately is not true all the time. And yet, you know, we still kind of cling to that idea. And uh, the, the example I'll often give of that in workshops, if you're not sure if the just world belief still lives inside of you and is affecting your behavior, just think of your behavior when you're driving down you know, a highway and you see a police officer up ahead, you're going to slow down because you're anticipating that if you just behave appropriately, you won't be punished. And then you're going to speed up again <laughs> once you pass that, <laughs> you know, because the threat of punishment isn't there anymore. Uh, or if you get really upset and angry when somebody sort of cuts you off and doesn't see you because how dare they, you know, you don't deserve that. You're not doing anything wrong. You're going under the speed limit. You're driving within the lines. And then this person, you know, violates your, your lane by coming in without having done anything to deserve it. I feel like you also give a really good example in workshops um, that I always like, which is about when you travel and, and get it, whether your luggage gets lost based on mm-hmm. how you have handled it. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to say the analogy for you. Well, so this is actually based on a real story. I don't know if you actually knew that. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it was, so it was actually something that happened to me when I was um, doing my internship interviews because, and if you're, you're a psychologist out there, or a psychologist in training, you know what I'm talking about, or you soon will. And my condolences. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit different now, I think, because people are able to do you know, more zoom based interviews, but back then, back in the old days, we had to do mostly in-person stuff. So I was traveling to Cincinnati to do an interview and, uh, you know, I got all my, my, my luggage ready. And that sounds dramatic because just a bag with my suit in it. The only thing I actually needed for the interview <laughs> and, uh, you know, I packed it and I was going from Philadelphia to Cincinnati and I was really careful to make sure cause I was terrified that I was not going to have my suit and I was going to have to interview in my jeans and then be seen as a fraud and not, you know, not, not match for internship. And so, you know, I checked my bag in, made sure that the label said Cincinnati felt pretty secure that I had done all the right things to make sure my bag was going to be there. Got on the plane, you know, was practicing for my interview and I got to Cincinnati and they had lost my bag. Mm. And they found it at about 1230 and brought it to my hotel at about two in the morning. And my interview is eight o'clock the next day. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you can do all of the right things. You can make sure you pack your bag correctly. You can make sure you, you, you check it in correctly at the airport. You can ask the attendant, is this really going to Cincinnati? And they can assure you, yes, it is. And you can see and put it on the belt and, and it can still not end up there. So even if we do all the things we're supposed to do, we don't always get the outcome that we're intending or want. That's interesting because I, I I get the sense sometimes when the topic comes up about just world belief that there's also this kind of this cosmic component to it, right? Like mm-hmm. if you do all the right things, it's it's not even just, you know, if I do all the right things, then I've made sure I've, I've set things up that it's going to happen, right? But like, you know, if, if I'm a good person, then even the stuff that I don't really have direct planning for or direct intervention with still good things come back to me. And if, 
and I guess the more that I see with clients is kind of the opposite of that, right? Like if bad things are happening, that must be a sign or a signal somehow that I'm a bad person or I've done something wrong because somehow I've attracted this misfortune on myself by being a bad person. Or there's also the, you know, kind of the, I've been a really good person. I'm trying really hard and still bad things are happening. What's going on? Yeah. That's a, that like the way you're describing it, it's really like the basics for karma, right? Like if you're right, a right, right. Good, good person, good things will happen. Do you have good karma or bad karma? And like, you're making me realize that it's even just in all of these kinds of, um, what do I want to say? Philosophies towards life, including what was that book from a while ago? The secret or something like if you put good things out into the world then good yeah. things will come back. Come and back yeah. No offense to anybody who, who, you know, follows that mindset. I think it's a good mindset to have in general, but clearly there are some shortcomings to it. And even that idea of karma. So I have a little, a little bit of background in, in Zen and, and Buddhist concepts. You do? I do, oh. I, you know, um, I do a little bit of meditation, a, okay. a slight bit, but even that concept has been sort of warped by the idea of just world belief. And it's sort of like, it's become sort of just in our vernacular that, that, uh, when something bad happens to someone that we don't like, or who has wronged us in some way, we'll say, ah, karma, you know? it's just sort of this idea again, like you were saying, Karen, that it's just lots of different philosophies and ways of understanding them get sort of warped by that idea. Right. When you were, uh, when you were talking, Kevin, just a minute ago about client behavior, I was thinking about all the different clinical presentations where, where sort of that self blame can show up. And I was thinking about yeah. folks who are maybe struggling with depression their lives are not maybe going the way they want. And then they see their lives are not going the way they want. And they start to believe, well, maybe I'm the sort of person who just can't have a good life. And there's something defective about me or an OCD, even, you know, that sort of yeah. thought action fusion stuff, thinking something is the same as doing it. And if I think these thoughts, it means I'm a particular type of person, the type who has those thoughts. Uh, versus just having thoughts and, you know, paying attention to what you do. So, yeah, I think often we talk about this just world belief as being critical for trauma survivors. And I think it, it's, it's sort of maybe universal in a lot of the different presentations we see. I think so. I, I mean, I've, as you were talking, Andy, I thought of, you know, four different ways that it becomes relevant and it's not important to go into all of them, but I think it is really universal. and. I think speaks to the power of that belief and the underlying issue, which is that we want control and predictability as human beings. We want to be able to know what to do in order to control the world around us and to protect ourselves and prevent bad things from happening. Kind of a basic human desire. And it, the other place it shows up too, I think, is where we're judging other people too. Right. So there's, you know, I think all of us have had the experience and probably have, it's easier to see in other people as well, like where somebody else has good things happening to them, but we kind of think they're not a good person. And it's like, well, wait a minute, how come they're getting all the good stuff? I'm trying to be good. Yeah. They right? don't deserve yeah. it. Right. So, or, or when, you know, somebody that we don't think very highly of is having bad things happen to them. And there's almost like a, well, they deserve that. They, you know, that's, that's what you get when you behave that way. You know, it's it, it partly how we're judging ourselves, but I think it, it also, you know, we, we use that as, as a way perhaps to, to justify how we think of other people too. That's a good point. 
also victim blaming. It's the heart of it. When we see bad right. things happening to someone, we uh, we might assume that they are the one who did the thing or did not do the thing to cause that to happen to them. Yeah, and they must have done something to bring that on themselves. It, or, right. Yeah. If right. only I hadn't done this instead of that. <laughs> Which you know, again, sort of reinforces if if we all if we want to believe that what we do has a direct impact on good or bad things happening in our life, then it make victim blaming at that level is sort of a way to psychologically protect ourselves from the fear and maybe the reality that, you know, sometimes it it may not matter what we do, (laughs) that bad thing is going to happen. So if we really focus on blaming another person and their actions and they got what they deserved, it helps, you know, helps us to sort of preserve for ourselves that idea that, you know, well, that won't happen to me as long as I keep doing the right Uh things. Uh Right. Which sometimes I wonder how much of that belief kind of shows up in our, uh, in our workshop attendees. And, you know, like if we just do all the right things in the protocol, for example, we're going right. to get great outcome. I mean, I've never had that thought no. myself, <laughs> never got stuck there, but like, do you, do you, do you wonder about that sometimes? Have you sort of seen like now that I kind of put that on the table, even you know, our trainees approaches to learning can be impacted by that just world belief. Absolutely. I think, I think about particularly in CPT workshops, right? Because this is where we talk about the just world belief outright. Um, And then CPT itself is, is very manualized. And there are, there is a protocol of what you want to accomplish in session one and what you don't accomplish in session two. And some of those sessions have a lot of things that need to be accomplished and immediately workshop participants understandably say, well, what if I don't get to all of it? Or what if I stumble about the, you know, the, the theory behind CPT or what if I don't explain it correctly? Um, This desire obviously to do it right and to help patients and then the immediate fear of what if I do it wrong? Absolutely. And say some of that with, with PE too. So, I mean, if you've listened to other episodes, you probably know I'm, I'm one of the prolonged exposure therapy instructors at CDP and, and do PE and uh, like some side private practice. And, you know, very much the same way. PE is a very protocol based intervention. And, and we have a lot of discussion about, well, you know, what if you don't hit all the right points or in the right order? Or, mm-hmm. You know, is it OK if I change things up a little bit this way? And we do. So we do a weekly consultation call um, with folks about uh, trauma cases, PE in particular. And, um, Karen, you attended with us before mm-hmm. and there, there does seem to be kind of that, that subtext of, well, but I didn't, you know, hit all the right things at the right order and therefore they're never going to get better. Or is it okay if I make this adjustment that seems like it really should be helpful and impactful, but it's not in the checklist, you know, am I, you know, dooming them to bad outcomes? It's, there definitely is that kind of a feel to, uh, to some of the folks we work with, with PE, but, you know, I think similar to CPT, we don't, we don't speak necessarily explicitly about uh, just world beliefs in PE, but they're certainly there. Sure. And I mean, we can extend that, you know, thinking about CBTI for insomnia, you know, same thing. What if I don't score the sleep log correctly? Mm-hmm. What if I don't do a perfect job of explaining sleep restriction? Um, you know, you can apply it to anything. It's certainly not just CPT. It's just that, then in the CPT workshop, we get to make the really hilarious joke of, hey, is there any chance that you're carrying around the just world belief in your mind <laughs> participant, which is obviously hilarious. Super hilarious. Everyone laughs. It brings the house down every time. 
Well, it, it reminds me too of other discussions we've had about like imposter syndrome, right? This mm-hmm. idea that, you know, if I don't do everything right, if not all my clients get better, or if I'm, if I'm not, you know, super insightful and causing my client to have all these new ways of seeing themselves in the world around them, then, you know, they're going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, so colleagues are going to figure out that I'm a big fraud. I, I'm not good at this. So, yeah. I, right. Sometimes people get better just by accident. You know, mm-hmm. if I have to, if I, if I can do everything just right, if I can be, you know, super, super therapist, everybody gets better. And then nobody ever figures out. <laughs> and, right. and again, like that, that sort of, even though, pretty quickly if you sort of just look at life and your life experience the just world belief falls apart almost immediately it is so compelling to want to hold on to that idea because if the stakes are high your credibility for example as a therapist and if you care about that you know um, doing your job and what what that's connected to your livelihood your sense of who you are even the people you serve and helping them to get better than the idea that maybe you could do all of the right things and still it not work out, or you might make a mistake and then it will sort of um, end up tanking the therapy is, is, is tricky is because the other side of it though, could be a little bit more, it could be liberating if you can lean into it, that even if you do all of the right things, it doesn't guarantee that things are going to get better. Be, you know, if you widen the context a bit, it might take some of the pressure off and your job is just to go in and do the best you can and to keep getting better. And that gives you and the client that maybe the best opportunity for something, you know, life-changing to happen in therapy. It's so funny because you're absolutely right. I agree with you intellectually, but emotionally, (laughs) when you say that, I'm like, what? I can, you know, my reaction is no, no, no. My clients have to get better. Obviously, like that's why I'm here. What do you mean they might not get better? Um, So even me knowing a thing or two about the just world belief, it's I'm still very much vulnerable to it. And I'm not quite ready to give it up yet. I'm not certain that it's possible to be honest with you, to give it up. I, I haven't been able to give it up either. Kirk Strassel, um, act therapist and trainer has this really great, he, he, when he talks about the job of a therapist, he'll pretty explicitly say your job is not to fix the client. It's actually not to help them get better. Your job is to disrupt unhelpful behavior. And hopefully that down the line sort of works to help your client get better, which is a nice reframe. And still it's sort of, again, makes sense, but it doesn't feel like, well, but, but really <laughs> right. but not for me, that might be true for right. other therapists, right. but not for me. And if me. you're doing all of it well, they'll get better still. Right. 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 If you're, right. <laughs> and also <laughs> right. I, that shows up for me. Most, uh, mostly I, I'm remembering this because it's, it's not been very long that I've started doing some private practice on the side. Most of my clinical work has been done within the DOD system where all my clients show up. They're not necessarily paying anything out of pocket. You know, they come to the clinic, you see them, you, you write your note and then it's done. And we didn't worry about any of that billing stuff or putting in claims or, you know, coming up even some, and we were, we did use CPT codes, of course, in our notes, but it didn't have the same impact. And so like the first time that I was seeing a private practice client and I'm like, oh my goodness, like 
is my time really worth this? You know, right. I better, I better do some really dang good work here with this bird. They, they, they should leave every time feeling like their whole world has just been rocked in a positive way. Um, and, and the times that it didn't necessarily end that way, I, I was questioning even myself, like, gosh, these people are, are paying me to be so insightful and healing. And I don't know if I did that this time. I should give them a refund or at least a right. full refund. Right. That wasn't perfect. And that word perfect that you just brought up there, I think is one of the places that I think our clients get stuck and we get stuck because if the answer to making sure that bad things don't happen is to do all the right things, then it can be real easy to get stuck in that sort of sense of perfectionism. I must do it right. Can't make mistakes. And that's a really hard place to be. And it's also a place that makes it really hard to do good work as a client and also as therapist. You know, if there's, if you're always walking on a tightrope um, and taking responsibility for everything that doesn't go right uh, and everything that goes wrong, it's hard to be creative. Yeah. Right. And going back to what you said earlier, that our job is to disrupt behaviors. It is important to be creative, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Creatively disrupt things. Mm -hmm. So that actually is kind of a nice segue into how do we disrupt the, uh, you know, the just world belief when it's operating? Well, maybe we could start with our clients and then talk a little bit about how we, if we sort of notice in our own behavior, that kind of acting in some unhelpful ways, how can we begin to disrupt that just world belief? So the first thing that comes to mind is um, that I think part of it when working with clients is widening how we describe it and how we help clients to understand it. Because it's not just if you do good things, good things will happen. Bad, if you do bad things, bad things will happen. But it's really more about like that desire to want to predict and control. And that's, you know, again, pretty human, pretty basic human desire. But I think um, in the past, at least for myself, and I've described it to clients, I've maybe just focused on the do good things and good things will happen piece. And then clients may be quick to say, oh, I don't, I don't think that way. That doesn't apply to me. But what does often apply is you know, that desire to want to make sense of the world, that desire to want to uh, produce good outcomes for yourself and prevent bad outcomes. It occurs to me too that you know sometimes it can be helpful to to just be really explicit about kind of all the implicit assumptions that go with that, right? So I, I think about um, you know some some clients that I've seen for for trauma that seem to be very much entrenched in a just worldview and, and in a negative way, <clears throat> you know this idea that that uh, you know again if they if they do everything right if they're perfect if they hit all the you know all the right check marks then they can make sure that this bad thing that happened to them never happens to them again mm -hmm. but that also lands on this was my fault right so there's so much self-blame um that comes in there and it's interesting to think about that right that this all the the pain and the the distress of blaming oneself, taking all the responsibility for what happened in a trauma somehow feels a little bit better mm -hmm. than acknowledging the possibility that bad things can happen even when you're doing everything right. You know, that, that feeling of that lack of control um, 
is is scarier in some situations. And as we start to, you know, talk about that a little bit and, and make that explicit, you know, it's interesting to watch some of my clients go, wait a minute, I don't believe that at all. Like it's not better to hurt this way mm-hmm. and feel like I'm in control because I'm blaming myself than it is to kind of think about how, you know, maybe sometimes things are outside of my control, but it, it kind of took, you know, examining that and thinking about how, you know, what, how, you know, clinging to this, this just world belief so tightly, what is that actually saying, you know, for you and, and what, how you move forward. And, and acknowledging that it's scary for all of us Absolutely. to admit that we don't have complete control over what yeah. happens to us, that we're vulnerable to other people or the universe or whatever. Um, yeah, just even I, for me, clinically, just acknowledging that fear mm-hmm. often goes a long way for clients. Yeah. As I was listening to both of you answer that question, one of the things that popped into my mind, um, which is sort of similar and kind of embedded in both your answers is the importance of perspective taking, having, being, helping your client to take perspective on their own need to make sense of things. And then widening that to include, you know, they're not alone in this human beings do this. This is a very human thing Mm -hmm. uh, to want to know why things are happening. And Kevin, what you were saying about helping clients really take a look at their way of coping, for example, with a trauma and how that is creating this sense of guilt and shame and maybe this sense of control also and widening that scope to see, you know, it's maybe not actually better than just standing with themselves and feeling what there is to be felt. So widening that perspective, helping clients connect with even, even you, like, you know, there've been times where I've self-disclosed in therapy. I get it. Yeah. I want to, you know, I want to feel like if I just do all the right things, I'm going to get the right results too. You know, I wonder if this is just a thing that human minds do because they want to help us try to figure out how to predict and control our reality. And, you know, it kind of backs us into a corner sometimes. Mm -hmm. How about clinicians? You know, because, you know, we're humans too. <laughs> well, I can't for sure say Corinne is human. Not me. Definitely not me. <laughs> we haven't done the DNA testing. Um, Actually, I did do the DNA test. I was going to say, I thought oh, we did. did. Okay. I did do the DNA test. How did it come back? Were you, you were human? Uh, well, I failed the first two. They said that I didn't have enough human DNA. I'm you, not you kidding. Fa- that was legitimate. That twice. They DNA refunded test. my money. They refunded my money. But anyway, let's move on. Well, even if you're a very sophisticated AI, you might have some thoughts about how humans <laughs> in the role of therapists, you know, might might work with this. Well, it, it, if, wait, so now I have to, I'm taking yeah, a perspective of a human. Right? What was, the question? <laughs> was it about how to help clients or how to help ourselves? Yeah. How to sort of help ourselves. Yeah. So, so for me, I mean, it's very much applying exactly what we talked about applying to clients or helping clients with applying it to myself. So number one, recognizing that, yes, I also wish to control as much as I can about my environment. I also wish to like do what I can to ensure good outcomes versus bad outcomes for myself and for people that I care about. And that's normal. You know, that's, that's okay. Um, but recognizing that it, it might make me focus on things in a unhealthy way or might make me think in an unhealthy way. And then for myself, I've just been trying more often to catch myself when I say things to myself, like if I had just done this or well if i just do this because that's usually the 
for me, the, the, uh, the beginning of the just world belief playing out for me. So being more mindful of what it is that I'm saying to myself and how I'm analyzing things for myself. I think for me, I remind myself really like we've just been saying basically that, that I'm a human too. And, you know, and I'll, I'll, I, I sometimes have a mantra of, well, is that something I would tell a client, you know, am I telling myself the same things I would tell a client? Am I giving myself the grace that I, you know, will, ask my clients to give themselves. Um, and it reminds me too, you were talking about Kirk Strassel and, and what he was suggesting our role is as therapists. Um, and I think, you know, again, part of, I, I, I've had other mentors that have said probably a very similar thing using slightly different words where they said, you know, our job isn't to go in there and make people feel better. Our job isn't to go in there and make people, you know, live their lives in a particular way. Our, our job is to help them to be more authentic um, and be, you know, kind of more, really who they are um and thinking about the importance of that you know in relationships and you know that we have and how really perhaps the the only relationships or maybe at least the most helpful relationships are those where people have a relationship with who we are rather than the facades we put up you know it, it again it, it kind of helps to remind myself I, i'm a human and i have this tendency towards control too and i also have a tendency to try to control perhaps, you know, projections and how people see me that, that more, more fulfilling life as a human and also as a therapist is to also recognize that, you know, I can, I can not be perfect. I can be authentic. And that's actually probably better. Mm -hmm. There's one of the like very few things that have stuck with me in terms of psychoanalytic training. Cause my, my graduate program was actually psychoanalytic in nature. Um, and I've managed to block most of that out in my, <laughs> in my professional life. But the only time you'll hear me refer back is um, I just remember Winnicott, one of the classic analytic uh, writers talking about being good enough and how mm -hmm. when it came to child development, it wasn't about having a perfect parent. It was about having a good enough parent. And, you know, I try to remind myself that I can be a good enough therapist and a good enough human humanoid um, <laughs> along the way. And that really is the goal. And I think that that in some way is related to being authentic, right? Authentic yeah. with flaws included. Yep. We're, we're kind of getting into actionable intel. And I know, Kevin, you were going to sort of take us out with actionable intel. I was, I was going to take us out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, if, if we're ready for that, we can go sure. in that direction. But I also, I remembered, I remembered that I was supposed to come back to, to get, get the end of that story. The yeah. Astrophysics story. Astrophysics. Yeah, the astrophysics yep. story. So the, as I understand, cause I'm, I'm not an astrophysicist and I don't pretend to be one. Uh, but my understanding is that the just world belief applies because scientists and researchers for decades have been trying to figure out the origins of the universe and how the universe goes together. And they keep looking for the perfect explanation, the mm -hmm. explanation that incorporates everything that we know and is elegant and eloquent and has no missing pieces and def describes and defines things well. And what this, the author of this book was saying was that might not exist. We, we have to settle for knowing what we know and that there may not be one eloquent explanation for the universe. Mm. And that, that might be enough. That, that might be Winnicott enough. says that might be enough. Yeah. Do, do planets judge other planets 
if meteors hit them? Like, are they like, it, it, you know, it's, it's your orbit that if you weren't just so ostentatious with your rings and whatnot. How about the size of the planets? Like if, if you just didn't, you know, grow so big, maybe right. you wouldn't have been in the, the way of the meteors. If you weren't so gravity. gassy. If you weren't so gassy. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's time for Kevin to take us out. All right. Picking us out. Well, you know, I mean, we, we, Andy said, we're already kind of heading this direction. We, we like to end each of our episodes with just a few, you know, points of you know, tips that we call actionable Intel. So Corinne, what, what would you recommend? A couple of tips with regards to, um, you know, the just world hypothesis or worldview, um, that we can use for ourselves, for our clients moving forward. Yeah. So I, th- I think moving forward for my clients, I'm going to be more mindful of explaining it, not just about, you know, doing good things brings good outcomes, but actually discussing more about the human desire for control and predictability and how that comes across in a lot of different ways and is not about PTSD or dep- depression or anxiety or OCD or anything else for that matter, but just about the human condition in general. Um, and for myself, really continuing to catch myself with uh, those times that I'm thinking about if only I had or if I just do X, Y, Z and maybe switching the way that I'm thinking about it to I hope I can or I would like to X, Y, Z. Yeah, really like that. I think, you know, one that, that I'm throwing in there for myself is that to, to remember, you know, that difference between perfection and good enough that. Um, that it's enough for us to do our best to try to you know move towards goals that and and things that we value and it's good enough to 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 do that you know to put in our best effort and then things happen and things happen the way they happen and and we can handle that too i think about and and <laughs> this is getting away from actionable intel but i think about during my internship i worked at the portland oregon va uh for my my uh pre-doctoral internship. And one of my rotations was on the, uh, well, it was half in the the inpatient unit and half on the day program. And so we were working with some seriously mentally ill folks. Um, and so in the day program, I was helping to facilitate a group and it, it was not a group that was getting into really deep, very, you know, earth shattering insights. It was just really basic things, basic life skills that we were talking about. And the, the supervisor said, look, we're going to measure success differently here than perhaps you've measured it anywhere else. He said, we're going to measure success by were we present and did they feel heard? And, and sometimes for me, I have to remind myself that that's perhaps good enough, you know, for the work that we do is, is that was I present and did they feel heard? Um, being authentic. And actually that's those sessions are the ones where I feel like I get the most positive feedback mm-hmm. from clients where right. they, they say thank you the most. And like, that was really helpful as opposed to these really fancy sessions where I'm delivering the interventions really well. And I'm using right. fancy terminology. I'm, I'm hoping that those help as well, but I think those being present and being heard um, is really valuable. Yeah. And that in itself can be absolutely life-changing. I mean, for clients who don't have those things uh, mm-hmm. on a regular basis and maybe never have. So I'm going to add two pieces of actionable intel too. So one for clients, I think this is sort of a variation on the theme that both of you already talked about is I think when it comes to self uh, just world belief and self blame, contextualizing 
one's behavior, really, really putting it in context, really looking at the big picture, examining intentions and values, um, and helping clients sort of see, you know, as much as we might want to always be able to control the outcome, the outcome isn't completely up to us. And similarly with, with myself, one of the things I've gotten uh, in the habit of doing lately, particularly on those days where I'm kind of just world believing myself and being perfectionistic is I'll sit down and I'll write down like, okay, long-term, what kind of values do I want to bring into the therapy room? Who do I want to be for my clients? Mm -hmm. And then I'll write down very specific ways that I can do that. So I'll write myself a note that says, ask questions today reflect back what your client is saying to them today, you know, validate an emotion one time, really simple things to sort of get me back into the mindset of focusing what I'm doing and holding the outcome, maybe a little bit, a little bit more lightly. Like that. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks for coming back on practical for your practice current. Always a pleasure to be here. We're going to, we're going to invite you again too. You're not um, off the hook anymore. Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> great. Did I, maybe, does I mean that I did everything right today? Well, and I'm just gonna say, maybe you did like if you did a really like terrible job today, we wouldn't invite <laughs> you back. I said, well, but you I were at least good, good enough. enough. Yeah, you were good enough. <laughs> yeah, good, enough. <laughs> good enough guest. All right, thanks, everybody. Guys. Well, thanks for tuning in, and um, we'll look forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.